Live from the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. Jordan McCabe front court leaves it for Iwako. Out top to Ham. He'll shoot a three straight away. And he'll hit it. Why not? It's every game, it seems. An early three from the top of the key for Royce Ham Jr. Rice bounces to Iwako. Out to Williams. Alone for a three. Donovan's three is good. Big shot by D. Will. In the hands of Jeffries. And then Justin Webster takes it away. And they foul Hamilton. Justin Webster having a tremendous night. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Silver Sevens on a Thursday. It's our Thursday home all year long. Adam Candy's with us. Ari's back in the Finley Toyota Studios. Candy, how you doing, buddy? Let's party, Steve. It's a beautiful day in Las Vegas. It is almost 80 Degrees out. Basketball is about to overtake this town. Everything is coming up us. Yeah, the tourneys have already started. The yep. women are here. I was there last night. Uh, where were you? Out at the Pac-12. Uh, checking out ASU, taking on Oregon State. And a game that actually turned into a nail-biter at the end. But getting set up for, you know, um, really, you, you can buffet on this, man. A- anything you want, it's here for the next uh, couple of weeks. Yep, five tournaments, uh, men's and women's. It's starting now, goes all the way through next Sunday. I've got multiple pairs of tickets for the Mountain West Conference semifinals, and I may have a couple for the final, but you got to come on down here to Silver Sevens, Flamingo and Paradise, Bud Light Lounge, 277 on drinks, well drinks, shots, margaritas. Uh, but, yeah, this is your chance to get Mountain West Conference tickets, and we'll get to UNLV in about 30 minutes. Based on last night and based on times of late with the Rebels, they may actually make a run to the semifinals if they can lock up the five seed, avoid that Wednesday play. So we got tickets down here. If you cannot come down, you can buy your own tickets at UNLVtickets.com. You've got uh, all 11 men's and women's teams that are going to be competing over the course of uh, seven days. The women's tournament starts up in – just it seems like a few seconds, and maybe later on we'll get into UNLV Lady Rebels. But uh, 20 games overall, auto bids on both sides for the men's and the women's Mountain West Conference Tournament over at the Thomas & Mack, UNLVtickets.com. All right, Ari, let's do it. It's Trending at 3, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. So, Candy, you come in uh, on the heels of a week where we've been talking about the Vegas Golden Knights and their playoff hopes. And, you know, I started out pretty much with everyone who's been on the show. Like, are we sure this, hey, we're going to get healthy? Hey, they're going to be right at the right time down the stretch for the playoffs? Are we sure they're going to be on the dance floor in the first place? No, we're not. And this is the first time in the five-year history of this team that we've not known if they're going to make the playoffs. We knew from the jump in year one. We knew that this team was going to win the division. Here we are. And I don't know. I really don't. There's too much that has gone wrong consistently. Back to the goaltending, which has not been consistent at any point this year. And the fact that you can't just plug Jack Eichel in for Mark Stone and say everything is going to work out. Now, do I think this team is good enough to make the playoffs? Yeah, I do. And they should. But are they going to? I don't know. I just hope everyone can appreciate that we're talking about an expansion franchise in its fifth year. And for the first time 
in five years, we're talking about that they might not make the playoffs, even though it's still a betting favorite that they will. That is a hell of an accomplishment for the franchise overall. So are you suggesting that fans who are kind of hard-charging, who will flip out if the Knights don't make the playoffs, that they need to dial it down, relax? They need a little punch of karma, right? R-E-L-A-X, Aaron Rodgers style. I think that you need to appreciate the success this team has had. Multiple Western Conference Finals, a Stanley Cup Final, and the only reason that they are where they are right now is because the injuries have been so consistent and so taxing that they can't get a consistent lineup going for any good portion of this year. And now they've got Boston on tap. Now keep in mind, outside of the Sharks' victories, they're 0-4-1 against everyone else in this recent stretch. And while the Bruins are coming off a loss, they also kicked the living crap out of the Kings the game before that, and they'd won five straight heading into the uh, the Ducks game. So this is a very good Bruins team. This is a really good test. And the other question is, can Robin Leonard play back-to-back games yet? No, I... And I don't mean back-to-back in a, you know, back-to-back one day to the next. I just mean playing two games in a row. No, I know what you mean, and it's less about the health of Robin Leonard and more about the fact that we go back to talking about where this team was last year with $12 million of goaltender, with Marc-Andre Fleury playing at a Vezina level, with Robin Leonard as a capable number two, you bet everything on Robin Leonard. And that's why goaltending was the very first thing I brought up, Gofield, because Robin Leonard for the bulk of this season has not been great. And you can't count on goaltending in the NHL to be great from one year to the next. The Golden Knights made that bet with Marc-Andre Fleury. Robin Leonard has not been great for them this year. All of the advanced metrics, basically after the first 10 games of the season, were not friendly to him. He's been hurt at times. You've got to give him that much room. But behind him, Laurent Brassois has done as much as you can ask a backup to do, and that's it. That's it. And the Golden Knights might or might not have the cap flexibility in the next 12 days with the trade deadline approaching to do something about it. More on the Knights in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, the brass from the Raiders is in Indianapolis around the Combine, which means availability. And really, it's the, the first availability since the introduction, so there's a lot of questions to be asked. There's a lot of moving parts on the Raiders, contracts that need to be extended, deals that need to be made, free agent goals, draft goals. And Josh McDaniels sat down with the media. He uh, stepped on the set with NFL Network and uh, – you know, we got to go back to his initial decision and why he decided to take the job with the Raiders when he had such a good situation in New England. I think the first thing is Mr. Davis. I, I didn't know him, and so when I came out and met him for the very first time, he made a huge impression on me. His commitment to the organization, his commitment to the Raiders, the history, the tradition of this of this organization, Raider Nation, the state of Nevada, the city of Las Vegas, uh, it was very clear to me what he wants to do. That is very, very encouraging, Adam Candy. Did you hear what he said there in the middle? Did State of Nevada, pick, pick something out. What do you like? What'd you like about it, Kofi? That Tell was it. He it. said Nevada. Yeah? Yeah? Um, I love that. I love that. Clearly, yeah. he's a man who's been coached up well. And, yeah, God, do I, do I just love someone else talking about tradition and history. I love it. I well, can't get I, enough of it. I can't get enough. I, it, it feeds the children, Cofield. Tradition and history I, I feed the children. 
It drives you nuts because they haven't won recently in the tournament. Oh, is that it? Yeah. I mean, winning is part of it. Yes. Eventually. Winning is part of it eventually. <laughs> Josh McDaniels comes from the franchise winning that again. has become synonymous with winning over 20 years. We don't have a history, a tradition of Steve Grogan. I don't need to hear about Irving Fryer. What I need to hear about is winning now because that's what the Patriots did and that's what the Raiders need to do. I think that made a huge impression on myself, Dave uh, Ziegler as well, and you know, just gave me confidence that like he's got it in his mind what he wants. And then as we went through the process of discussing kind of how I see it and the vision that I have for the football team and building it the right way, there was so much synergy and we were in sync with most of that stuff that I just felt like this is really a good opportunity. It's a team that, that was very competitive last year, made the playoffs. Uh, they have some really good football players on this team. Synergy. That's important, right? Not all organizations have synergy. So the question then for Josh McDaniels that comes back from that is, tell us more about what Mark Davis' philosophy is for building a team and an organization. Because we know that Mark Davis' ultimate goal was John Gruden. And we got John Gruden and Mike Mayock, and what we got was a trail of disappointing first-round draft picks and a team that underachieved throughout John Gruden's tenure here. When we saw John Gruden come into what we thought was a situation where he was going to take and build from a team that had gone 12-4 and four two years earlier, and instead he tore the whole thing down. So Josh McDaniels can tell us on one hand there are a lot of good football players here, but is that the vision he has that goes along with Mark Davis, who signed off on John Gruden blowing up the franchise? To me, we got to know more about what Mark Davis' vision is because all we know about it right now is that he loves him some short field goals. The facility itself is really impressive, very amazing. I mean, they didn't cut a corner. Uh, and then I was able to go to the stadium too. So I just, there was, there was so much that felt so right for me. I've been patient, try to, you know, hopefully have another opportunity to do it. I'm very fortunate that it's here in Las Vegas. I do like that McDaniels continually addresses that it's a second chance. Because that is very much not Belichickian. Like, you can actually have a conversation with the guy where he's not all prickly. And that was kind of the worry from the Belichick tree. Are you going to get a Belichick-like attitude, acting like there's a ton of equity, and how dare you ask me about the past or question anything with personnel? So I like the way McDaniels has come out of the gates. And, you know, since I'm the glass overflowing guy in the show, just always positive, um, and I'm the one who said the Raiders would go 10-7 and and make the playoffs, there's a track record there. I do like the beginning of the bites that he took the job because of Mr. Davis. And then I like the final point that the facilities are awesome. That should encourage Raiders fans that they have what they need. There are no limitations because, Candy, you know, in a lot of organizations, there are limitations and they start with, one, the owner or the ownership group, and, two, a lack of commitment in terms of facilities. And the Raiders have both of those. So that's a massive positive. And it also means if McDaniels was fired up to come here and Dave Ziegler, then you still have an edge on a lot of clubs as far as getting free agents. History and tradition, Cofield. Like you just said, your history and tradition of being a glass overflowing guy. The Raiders' history and tradition yeah. of winning a long, long time ago. We should just rename this AC in the Sunshine Man, right? 
Enjoy Bud Light, Budweiser, and Michelob Ultra for just 77 cents during all NFL games at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook inside Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. Traffic. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7's, it's Cofield and Company. Yeah, I think Ari's suggesting that the NASCAR is trying to broaden out the audience. Gentle nudge there on that one. Pete Pistoni has covered NASCAR for a long time. He's an expert from SiriusXM, NASCAR Radio. He's up with Cofield and Candy here in Vegas. Pete, how you doing? Steve, good to talk to you. Absolutely. Looking forward to a little racing out there in Vegas for the first of two times this year. Look forward to going out there in the fall. Oh, yeah. Uh well, great race weekend. It's been a you know turned into a pretty good tradition here. We got three races in three days. Today is the uh, the hauler parade down the strip. Which I don't know, Pete. Is that is it kind of unique? Do they do these hauler parades in other towns? And I I, I would venture to say maybe not as uh, iconic a location as the Las Vegas Strip, though. Yeah, they do them in other towns. But you're right. I mean, that has been part of the weekend out there in Vegas pretty much since day one. And uh, I know the the hauler drivers. This is part of a West Coast swing. I mean, NASCAR last week was in Fontana, California. They're in Vegas this week. They go to Phoenix next week, and then they come all the way back to the West or the East Coast, I should say, to Atlanta the following week. So I know the hauler drivers like that. They appreciate the, the fans coming out. It's a nice way to kick off the three-day weekend we got out there in Vegas. So as our uh, producer, Ari, was suggesting there, NASCAR is trying to broaden out the audience. I think there are more sponsors being kind of welcomed into the sport. I don't know if they're paying the old price or it's uh, – you know, a lower price, but I was kind of intrigued by the fact that I saw some cars that have some signage for uh, FAMU, right, Florida A&M. That, that looked pretty cool. I think I was on Biffle's car, and then uh, Ethel M Chocolates is on, I think, Kyle Bush's car. So what what is happening now in terms of sponsorship and then sponsorships on cars for, you know, individual races or lots of races? Yeah, so what NASCAR did this year without getting too far in the weeds on the technical side, they basically – unveil the brand-new race car. So the cup car you're going to see on Sunday is from the ground-up, built brand-new than anything else NASCAR has done before. And the reason they did it was twofold. One, the manufacturers, Toyota, Chevrolet, Ford, wanted something on the racetrack that looked a little bit more like the car that you buy off the showroom floor. You can get a car off the showroom floor these days, or you see on the street. And two, they wanted to change the way the car drove so the drivers had a little more control back in, in their hands, which is what they like. They want to be more. The other car was a little bit more technical. The downforce was there. It was not as hard to drive. This car is really hard to drive. And then the other part of all that, Steve, to your question about sponsorship, the cost of this car has come down significantly. So that has opened up the door for a lot more sponsorship. And if you'll notice, a little subtle move, the numbers of the race cars have moved up a little bit, and you'll see that on Sunday that's allowing a little more space for some of those sponsors you're seeing, a little more signage, a little more logo, and that kind of a thing. So sponsorship's been really kind of, uh, I would say, better than the last three or four years on the Cup Series because of all those things, and uh, so far they're off to a pretty good start that way. And also in terms of broadening out that audience, Pete, I'm curious about the move. You talked about Fontana last week, but then a couple of weeks before, being at the Coliseum for the Clash, which obviously was something very different uh, you know it's not a traditional race but nascar trying to find uh, you know more of i guess the you know 
the L.A. audience as opposed to Fontana being about an hour out from there. What was their view of how that went and what they're trying to do by having that event? Well, it was a home run. Uh, there's no other way to say it. And that clash race you're referring to isn't a points race. It's an exhibition race. So what they're trying to do is find ways to bring the sport to major metropolitan areas that maybe don't have a racetrack. You mentioned Fontana's 50 miles east of downtown L.A., but you guys know that. That might, not, might as well be another country for some of the people that come to L.A. to there. To do a race inside the L.A. Memorial Coliseum and build a racetrack inside of it, a little quarter-mile track, you know, that was something when I first heard about it, I was like, this, they're crazy. This is never going to work. How are they going to do that? Well, they got about 55, 60,000 people in there. Fox gave them about seven hours, seven hours of live programming that Sunday afternoon because that was really the Sunday without football, first Sunday without football, unless you count the Pro Bowl in between the end of the uh, conference championships and the Super Bowl. So the network had a lot of free time. And that actually got the sport, I think, off to a, a pretty good start. There was a lot of interest, a lot of exposure. A lot of publicity around it. The race itself, I thought, turned out to be kind of fun. Joey Logano won it. Whether or not they do it next year or not, still, still will be seen. But one of the things that we're, we're hearing, guys, is that maybe that's an avenue where, I know they look here, I'm in Chicago, at Soldier Field. Or maybe putting a racetrack inside of there. Maybe the stadium idea is something NASCAR looks at down the road for some one-offs like that and try to bring the racing to the people rather than trying to attract the people out to the racetrack. And I'll tell you what, as someone who is not a huge fan but did watch a decent portion of The Clash, I enjoyed seeing something different, right? And I'm not saying, oh, well, it's short track and so there are more crashes. It's more that it just seemed like an interesting strategy difference from what we're used to seeing with the super speedways. And so uh, hearing some of the comments from the drivers afterward, it kind of seemed like some of them were a little bit annoyed but understood that NASCAR is trying to do something a little bit different and they were okay with it? Is that, is that a fair read of how the drivers felt about it? Yeah, and you know, be another thing I think it was, you know, there's 36 points races. I think it would be another thing if that were an actual race that paid points and counted toward the championship. The fact that it's an exhibition, I mean, that particular race had been in Daytona since it started in 1979, and quite frankly, kind of worn out, wore out its welcome. It wasn't quite as special. So, you know, NASCAR, again, trying to find ways to bring in a little new life, some new energy, like you mentioned there. And, and I do think that the drivers, for the most part, knew that it was what it was. So they kind of went with it, and they had a good time. And, you know, the vibe was really good. I thought the energy was really good. Um, you know, they had a concert going on. You know, Pitbull, who was actually a team owner in NASCAR, he did a concert. So that's all the stuff that you don't get at a regular race. And I think that was a good way for NASCAR to kind of get things going in a little bit different direction this year in 2022. Pete Pistone knows NASCAR. He does SiriusXM NASCAR Radio. We'll get into a couple of seconds of some Big Ten talk at the end of the conversation because that's one of my cups of tea. Uh, but getting ready for this race, I saw that the local paper, the RJ, did a really good story on Maury Gallagher, who uh, started Allegiant Airlines. Now he's, I don't know if he's divested, but you know he's doing some other projects now. He's trying to get into NASCAR. And he talked about the fact that, hey, it's expensive. You may not win, but that's kind of what I did in the airline industry by taking on all the big boys. What do you know about this story? I guess he partnered with Richard Petty Motorsports, which really hasn't had a whole lot of success recently, right? No, he hasn't. You know, it's funny to say, so, Steve, so Maury got into the truck series for a while, and the trucks are racing out there in Vegas on Friday night. And his his truck teams have been actually really good. They've won championships. So he decided he was going to up with Richard Petty's team, which was known as Petty Enterprises, and now it's Petty GMS Racing. And, you know, as Maury said, when you take a step from the 
truck series to the cup series. It's kind of like going maybe from single-A baseball to the major leagues. Probably a bad reference since baseball's not playing right now, but I guess you guys get what I'm going at there. The bottom line is that team already in two races has been infinitely better than it has been by the last two or three years. They have a, guy, a driver running have Eric Jones behind the wheel. He did pretty good at Daytona. Last week he qualified outside the front at Auto Club Speedway there in Fontana, and he finished third. So, you know, from what they were to where they have kind of gotten to in a really short period of time, if you're a Richard Petty fan, and there's a ton of them out there for the King, that's a nice way to maybe maybe bring that team back to a little prominence. And uh, Maury has done a lot in NASCAR, and uh, he's, he's meant a lot to the Truck Series, the Xfinity Series, sort of the number two division, and now he's a, he's a cup team owner. We'll see what happens with that team going down the road. And it's still a big-ticket item, right? I mean, he bought in, from what yeah. I was reading, for like $19 million. Yeah, I mean, and that's just his share of it. But, again, the operating costs have come down some. I know that's a relative term, but it's a little bit more. And I think that's why you're seeing that price point bring in some other people, like Amori Gallagher, like I mentioned, uh, uh, um, Pitbull. Michael Jordan owns the team that Bubba Wallace and Kurt Busch drive for. He bought into a team a couple of years ago. Uh, Emmett Smith's talking about getting involved in, in a team. So I think it used to be like maybe $35, $40 million to run the whole year. That's come down some, so I think that helps a lot. And some, some of that ownership that we're seeing, some of that new blood, I think is a result of some of those operating costs coming down. Let's talk about uh, last year's uh, big race, the, uh, the Sunday race, and that will lead us to the Pennzoil 400 for this year. Uh, Kyle Larson was a stud at last year's race, and that was just a springboard for a monster year, right? Unbelievable. He won 10 times last year, won the championship, uh, a guy that – Quite frankly, lost his ride the year before. You know, he, he uttered something that he shouldn't have, and he got suspended from NASCAR. And he had to work his way back in. Lost his ride with Chip Ganassi's team, and did everything he had to do that NASCAR asked him to do. And Rick Hendrick signed him to that five car there, and he just went on, as you mentioned, a monster season. He's already won a race this year. He won last week at Auto Club Speedway. I expect him certainly to be near the front of the field Sunday out there in the Pennzoil 400. Uh, he is just a natural talent. And here's a guy with, you know, what Kyle does. He doesn't just race NASCAR. He'll be out running a dirt track somewhere on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday night because he just loves to race. And he wins there as well. And I think he's, a, you know, I don't want to say this that often, guys, but I think he's sort of that once-in-a-generational talent. People are talking about him wow. like a Jeff Gordon back when he came in. That's how good Kyle Larson is, and he had a heck of a year last year. What kind of race do we expect? I know last year he led for like 103 laps, but there was a – a ton of lead changes throughout, like 27 lead changes, 12 drivers had a share of the lead. So do we expect the same sort of race? I think, Steve, what I saw last week at Auto Club Speedway is what I'm looking for this week at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and that is back to what I said about this car. These drivers don't feel real comfortable in that race car right now. We saw guys at the front of the field last week that we're not mm-hmm. used to seeing there, which I think fans like that a lot. I think you're going to see some spins and some caution flags, unfortunately. That's a part of racing because this car is so hard to handle. That track in Vegas is a little on the bumpy side, so I think that's another thing that kind of puts these drivers a little bit on edge. So I think this is going to be one of those races where, you know, maybe someone will hit on it in terms of getting the car set up right early on. I think it's going to be a pretty competitive race. End of the day, you know, Kyle Larson, Joey Logano, who won this race a year ago, those are the guys that are going to probably work their way to the front, but I'm looking for a pretty interesting race. It's 400 miles. These guys love that racetrack out there. I can tell you that for sure. He lets them go two or three wide sometimes. So it should be a pretty competitive afternoon, I think, there Sunday. 
Top of the heap on the odds board. You just mentioned Logano and Larson, Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, then Ryan Blaney. Is there someone kind of in the mid range? You just said maybe you know maybe there's a chance as they're discovering this car for someone uh, to pull an upset. Uh, guys who were you know twenty five to one up to like ten to one or Kyle Busch, Truex, Kevin Harvick, Keselowski. Anyone else you like? I, Denny Hamlin, I think last time I looked was like plus one thousand, and that seemed pretty long for me. For Denny, he's pretty good out there. Joe Gibbs Racing has not had a good start. Again, it's only two races. Uh, they thought last week they found something that maybe they were doing wrong in terms of setting the race car up. The cars were overheating. I mean, if they get that fixed, and you look at somebody a little bit longer there in that mid range, there, I think Denny Hamlin is someone to look at. You mentioned Kevin Harvick. I mean, he's around there as well. He had a spin last week. He was able to come all the way back, finish, I believe, in the top ten, uh, seventh place for Kevin. I mean, I think it's another guy that you can you can look at. I got to tell you, I don't know any race we're going to go to this year, guys. But Kyle Larson probably won't be the favorite based on what he did last year and probably the way he's going to be running this year. And I know he is the favorite for coming into Sunday's race. Peter, are you still doing a bunch of Big Ten radio? Yeah, Big Ten radio uh, in the afternoon on Channel three seventy two. I'm going to head to Indianapolis next week for the Big Ten. Men's basketball tournament's been a crazy year over there in Big Ten. I mean, it's like one of those years, again, I don't know if they're going to send nine teams to the NCAA like they did a year ago, but the top of the heap, when you look at Illinois and you look at Purdue and Wisconsin just won the Big Ten regular season championship, I think they've got a chance to go a little deeper than they did a year ago where only Michigan was the one that really was able to make it down to the end. Who's the coach of the year? I'm going to give it to Greg Gard. Greg Gard, I'm going to give him the coach of the year, considering what Wisconsin came into the year, and not a lot of people thought they'd be able to have the year that they have. they got a guy in Johnny Davis who I think has got to be in the conversation for player of the year. And what Gard was able to do up there and you know persevere, some of the, obviously, fireworks there at the end of the year with the situation with him and Juwan Howard in, in Michigan, I think he's done a tremendous job up there. And I'll tell you, the guy that I really feel very strongly about, even though they kind of got the rail, but they had a big win last night, Steve Peichel and Rutgers, man, that team is just so fun to watch. Peichel coming from where he did, Stony Brook, and that whole story there at Rutgers. I don't know if they can go too deep in the NCAA tournament, but I think they can make some noise. They're just a fun team to watch, and that shot last night with Ron Harper Jr. burying it at the end there against Indiana, that was just a lot of fun to watch. I'm well aware of the Rutgers situation because that's where I went to school. And last night, thanks, good memory, Pete. (laughs) Last night, I'm getting ready to call a Lady Rebel game, a UNLV women's basketball game, and it's like a minute before we go live on TV. And it's all this Mm -hmm. drama down the stretch, and, you know, there's some kind of skirmish on the sideline, flagrant too. And I, Ron Harper hits a shot, and we go live like a minute later, and I was a raving lunatic. I didn't mention why I was a raving (laughs) lunatic. I was just like, I'm so excited for this women's basketball game. <laughs> well, they're a, they're a fun team. That, that was a that was a great uh, great win for them last yeah. week. You know, and I think they've got a good enough resume where they should be in the tournament. I think they can make some some more noise here before the regular season's out. And next week we're down there in Indianapolis. But Steve Peichel is just a man. I, I just enjoy speaking with him so much. I really do. Yeah, you would think uh, one of the top teams could make it to the elite, and then from there we'll see if uh, one of them can get to the final four. But it's a deep conference. It's been a fun year, and like you said, it's been. Very unpredictable. Well, Pete, glad you joined us. Glad you're doing well. We'll be uh, listening to Sirius, uh, Sirius XM uh, NASCAR Radio this weekend. And at the end of the week, uh, if you don't know, Pete does the morning show. That starts at, uh, is that 4 o'clock our time? It's the East Coast morning show, right? Yeah, 4 o'clock your time, uh, 7 o'clock East time. Yes, sir. Good deal. And uh, the channel will have coverage of the big races here in Vegas, I'm sure, uh, the next couple of days and all weekend long. Thank you so much, Pete. We appreciate it. You bet.
Good to talk to you guys. Good to talk to you, Steve. Take care. There he is, Pete Pistoni. Who wants to go to the race? Let's do it right now. Call our 7364-1100, Three days of racing. Starts up on Friday today, uh, this evening, the hauler parade, just a, a few feet away from where I am right now, maybe a little more than a few feet. Uh, down the strip, the hauler parade will start at Luxor, go up to the Sahara, but we'll give away tickets to the Pennzoil 400, the Sunday race, caller 7, 364-1100. Grab your tickets. Grab your tickets. LVMS.com, LVMS.com, 364-1100 to win it on the phones. And we actually do have some tickets down here. If you're near Silver 7s at Flamingo and Paradise, come on over for race weekend tickets. Sign up for an A-Play card and unlock some great food specials at the Sterling Spoon Cafe at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. Justin still with the ball with eight, with seven. Justin comes right side, stops, 17-foot jumper. What a shot. It's a two for Justin Webster. What a shot. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7's, it's Cofield and Company. Candy, what do I always say, man? Play-by-play guy, let him do his job. No goofy noises in the background. What is going on on the Justin Webster call? There's some idiot in the background with the woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Oh, boy. Did yeah, they Curtis Terry was not available for the game last night, Candy, so I filled in. Yeah. And uh, I think I did that a couple of times. Yeah. Oops. I going to say, they forgot to turn your mic down, Homer. Good job, <laughs> Homer. I was excited. It was a good game. And that, that Justin Webster shot was insane because it was a step back. He was trying to get back to three, but I think his left foot didn't get all the way behind the line. It was a really hard shot. He fell to the floor. Uh, then he got a massive steal after that. And it's kind of the story of the season for this team because they've had to go really deep on the roster. They've got a you know a lead player who's awesome. He's one of the best scorers not only in the West, but in the entire country. But you got to get help from others, and there were little bits and pieces during the game, Candy, where if guys like Webster or David Mawoka or Vic uh, Iwako, Keyshawn Gilbert in the first half with some hustle plays, you know, if they don't lend a hand here and there, they're not winning that game against Wyoming, and they just beat the fourth-place team, and, you know, they stretched it out to about a 10-point lead late in the game, and they won by seven. If you tell me before that game that – the combination of Donovan Williams and Bryce Hamilton are going to get you 20 points. I am convinced UNLV is losing that game because of the way Bryce Hamilton has carried them through the second half of Mountain West play. And it was not an efficient night for Bryce Hamilton. And it wasn't a great night for Donovan Williams. And yet the contributions from Royce Ham with the double-double. And really, I mean, Webster was the hero of the night for me, honestly. Uh, the way that all went down was just outstanding for the Rebels. So, again, the, I'm, I'm going to put the little bit of what you love from me, just a little bit of cold water in there and some say... sass. Here comes some candy here comes, sass. Here comes some candy sass. So, what you're going to get is candy sass saying the refs absolutely allowed UNLV to play that game any way they want to. Graham Ike is probably going through about three hours of massage today for the way he was beaten up in the post. But you know what? If that's the way the refs are going to let you play, then go ahead and do it because Ike wasn't effective for Wyoming either. Royce Ham did great work down on him in the post. And the Rebels, look, Steve, the last two games, they have been against Boise and against Wyoming. They've basically been either Pick'em or small dogs or small favorites at various times against both those teams on their home floor. That's a great sign for how everybody's looking at this team going forward. 
Yeah, I don't feel bad for Graham Ike or Hunter Maldonado because that's their game, especially Ike, who's 6'9", and he's you know one of the lone true post players, does not stretch you know in terms of stretch element shooting the three like Orlando Robinson. They pitched it to Ike in the post 26 or 27 times, and almost every one of his moves, Candy, is back in, boom, 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 at least like three or four shots, and – you know, as we were calling the game last night, John Sandler even said it. He's like, this is a really tough guy to officiate because you can call a foul one way or the other every time he's down there. But, you know, unless you let them play, they're going to be off the floor, and they let him play. And I'll say, I, Ham, listen, you got to play to the officials and try to figure out how they're calling the game. Ham had, I think it was, it might have been EK's third, in, early in the second half, Ham had a predetermined flop that was so obvious on – because what was happening a lot of times, ZK would get the ball, and then it would be bang against Ham. Bang, 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 like four times. And on the first try to back in and get contact and feel Ham, he flopped to the floor. They bought it. Okay. you want If you want to know, little, yeah. little, little you're, ref. You're an official, man. Here's a little ref insider thing. Watch the way Royce Ham got up. He got up and immediately went yeah, to the yeah, bench yeah, yeah. and immediately was high-fiving his coaches. Yeah. That was in the scout. They knew exactly what they were doing. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. When you give them everything, they only want more. Bougie and a ruler, y'all need to do some chores. Rich ass kids, this ain't your mama house. Climb on your brother's shoulders, get that top rhyming out. God sent me from that crash. Just so I could beat Pete Davis's ass. Who? And my new bad. I know Illuminati man. Cofield and Company. Kanye. We'll get to Kanye in a couple of minutes. It's getting a little creepy, Kanye. Getting a little creepy. And you're scaring Ari with your language. He's got to beep stuff out. Xavier Pope is with us. we got a ton to get into on the legal front and otherwise. Xavier, how you doing, buddy? What's up, Steve? How's it going? Uh, pretty good, but this is not a good time in the world, my friend. Um, the Russian invasion yeah. of the Ukraine is horrifying and disgusting, and countries around the world are trying to get uh, sanctions out there, you know, with the Russians. Also, some some payback. And I, the one thing I, I you know, there's a lot of things I find interesting, um, but the the effort to take property and money from Russians and especially Russian oligarchs. I saw that certain countries are grabbing hold of their yachts. What's going on here? And by international law, like, like could the U.S. do that? What, what are we doing here? Yeah, the, the U.S. is, uh, you saw the White House announce that earlier today uh, in terms of seizing uh, assets. Uh, and I, what, what, I think what, what, what's really troubling about it is that multiple countries around the world is allow really rich people to operate and hide assets and be and have illegal ties right uh and without doing anything about it you know if these are some of the things that these governments should have done a long time ago if this is what was going on i mean you know that according to uh the united states i mean they already we already has uh, it goes back uh, over 170 years uh in terms of the the foundation for a civil forfeiture uh, uh act and the Civil Asset Forfeiture Reform Act, basically. And what it does uh, is it, it was grounded in seizing cargo from foreign ships that didn't pay customs of import tax. But that 
has been ramped up. It definitely was a big enforcement tool for drugs in the 1980s, uh, also against terror of terrorists and fugitives. And so this is not criminal litigation because obviously you have to bring somebody here to the states and they're not coming over to the states. Some of them you see have been hiding. A couple of them actually killed themselves. Uh, but it's a way to you see something associated with criminal activity. Okay, you're associated with Putin, who is now committing uh, crimes of violence against uh, different citizens. We can turn around and block your assets, particularly if it's tied up in various banking systems of various countries, uh, which uh, essentially, essentially the, the uber rich are using as floating, uh, floating banks. And so it's easier to, to take that when it's sitting on the shores of a foreign country. And so um, that's the foundation uh, for uh, maybe seizing some of these assets. Maybe they could, they may not, they may be seized legally, but they may not, they won't be, they, they may not necessarily have been just taken out the dock and moved somewhere. A, a, a billionaire oligarch can maybe live on the boat if they want to. Um, and that process, they have to sue it in order to get it back. And, and that takes a, a long process, very expensive process. Meanwhile, you don't have your yacht. What's your take on the Alexander Ovechkin situation with Putin? Of course, Ovechkin, one of the best players in the NHL. A lot of Russian players in the NFL. Check that, NHL. Yeah, I mean, they are good at hockey. I mean, that's why you see uh, – that's why he – that's where he is. But the, the issue with Alex, Alexander Ovechkin is that, I mean, right now – Go to, his, go to his Instagram page right now. The person that is in his photo, the photo with Alex Ovechkin is who else? Other than Vladimir Putin to this day and was asked to disavow Putin and he refused to do so. Uh, Mass Mutual ended advertising with him. Uh, Alex Ovechkin, he was a, people you know, celebrated him waiting, all getting that far into the Eastern Conference Finals, and the second he was a, the the Chris Paul of the NHL for you to say, and he finally gets himself a trophy. Everyone's celebrating. Oh, Alex Ovechkin finally gets a trophy. Then we find out that he is refused to disavow Putin, and now we've seen other Russian athletes have um, the impact, just like the oligarchs, of um, seeing some money not come their way and getting assets frozen and opportunities frozen from them as well. Well, much like our uh, highest profile politicians, uh, I'm sure Putin has lots of protection around him. So if the average citizen wanted to walk up to him and, you know, get into it with him, that wouldn't happen. Uh, that's not always the case with, uh, you know, local politicians. And our governor had an encounter with a dude at a local restaurant and the guy um, sort of threatened him. I think the, the legal line, the legal boundary, when we talked to our buddy Justin Watkins, another attorney yesterday, he said it wasn't exactly crossed. I don't know if you saw this video, but what's your take on... You know, average Joe citizen who's not happy with a public servant walking up and using threatening language and maybe, uh, you know, some racial slurs. Uh, I don't think there's a crime here, but it, it certainly it's not. I don't think it's a good situation we're in right now because I don't know if every politician out there wants people coming up to them, you know, when they're just out trying to have dinner with their family. I disagree with the assessment of other lawyers to say uh, who say that this isn't a criminally actionable the the man literally puts his hand puts his arm around uh, Sislak, then proceeds to tell him what physically that they would like to do with him. We should string you up, boy. Uh, also said we should we should hang you uh, as he 
was walking out of the establishment. And then he also referenced the fact that he doesn't have security. Uh, so openly saying that you are someone that we could actually come in touch. And the language, when I listened to the language, I felt physically, I felt, I felt that an imminent attack might happen. So if you feel as if someone's words are going to cause imminent danger or harm physically to you, then that is a terroristic threat, and that is a crime. Xavier Pope, legal expert out of Chicago, does Twitter spaces. Uh, the next space is up tonight, right? Yeah, we, we did our space earlier today on, okay. the, on, the, on the LSAT uh, and, uh, and the Katanji Brown in the response uh, to uh, with, with Fox News host Tucker Carlson. Uh, basically questioning her 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 law applic uh, qualifications. We dug into that topic. That's what we were talking about today. Uh, let's hit some more topics here. We played Kanye West coming in. He's got a claymation video that's out where, and you heard in the uh, the lyrics there, he wants to beat Pete Davidson's ass. What's too far for Kanye? Uh, in the video, he appears to bury Pete Davidson alive and then grow roses around him. I and mean, I guess it's kind of funny, but where's the line crossed? Yeah, I think it's, 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 it's a challenging one because we know that Kanye West is a brilliant artist and how he presents himself, uh, he, he has, how he presents his live shows, some of the different things he does in his live shows. And it's, it's clay. Uh, and unlike the, the previous piece we talked about, there isn't an, an imminent threat to Pete Davidson physically there in his presence. He, he talked he talked about beating Pete Davidson's ass and the reference was in the past tense as if it already happened. So it's basically stylized violence. So legally, it's not actionable. Is it creepy? I think it's a bit much now that Kim Kardashian has been as determined to be legally single. And Kanye West is now his second girlfriend uh, since then. He put a post with a new girlfriend who looked a lot like Kim K. Maybe Kim Y. Go ahead and call that. And there's nothing wrong with having a type, by the way. People say he has a type. So what if he has a type? Uh, a lot of people have types. Um, but it is getting a little creepy. Uh, and, and it just really is it is sad to see uh, on at as this third version, of third episode of the documentary Yeezus humanized Kanye, in my opinion. I mean, it made me listen to a lot of his music again because it felt like I was getting the old Kanye. Um, but the reality is the new Kanye is 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 a unfangled mess of politics, of mental uh, health issues that he's having, of of confusion about his faith and his is how it's going to play out in his real life, and then the end of his marriage. I'll tell you when I'm worked up and I'm kind of you know feeling out of sorts, I close the night out with a nice bowl of mint chocolate chip ice cream, and all is good. No, all listen, good. Steve. Don't do mint this. Mint and chocolate. Don't do this. Go together. It doesn't. It don't doesn't. Do Steve. This. Mint and chocolate does not. They don't go together. That's Dude, it's like putting toothpaste in your chocolate. I mean, who wants to eat? You were a kid. At, when you were a kid, you, you stuck and ate toothpaste as a kid, didn't you, Steve? This is a minute. You ate I, toothpaste I, as a kid. I did not. I did not. But mint chocolate chip from a very young age was a staple for me. I love mint chocolate chip ice cream. And actually, I hearken back to my old days because I saw you ripping it the other day. It's like your new carrot cake. Um, I saw you ripping it the other day. I went to get mint chocolate chip ice cream because I had some Reese's Pieces in the house. And it took me back to uh, getting Sundays at this place in the Northeast called Friendly's. I was in heaven. 
I was in heaven. And then you've got this whole campaign just slamming all of us who love mint chocolate chip ice cream. I don't get it. It, it, it turns out that a lot of people have some strong opinions about yes, it, just like yes. I do. And carrot cake. It, it is whatever reason people are. I've, I just say anything about food on my timeline. The whole world <laughs> wants to react to it. Whatever, for whatever reason, right? Uh, we we have people want to talk. We have way in a list celebrities want to weigh in about my food takes. I think it's hilarious. Um, but mint chocolate, it, but it's just like carrot cake. It is two concepts that don't go together. You right. don't put carrot and cake together. You don't put mint and chocolate together. These two things deserve to be completely separate from one another. I saw the uh, mint chocolate chip gang came after you, just like the carrot cakers, as you were calling them. Uh, we got to close on this one. I just said, um, you know, after a long day, little mint chocolate chip ice cream, I dial it down. Um, I may have a rough day, but one thing I don't do, even though I say I don't like kids, I don't just start yelling at them. And I don't understand what was happening yesterday with Governor Ron DeSantis, as we call him, Riverboat Ron, you know, just roll the dice with, uh, with COVID. I mean, this guy, he is so married to the bit that yesterday, I think he forgot he was talking to high school kids, and he starts snapping at the kids. He's like, take those masks off. They don't work. You know, why are we playing this COVID? Th like, what are you doing? Why are you yelling at these kids, Gov? Yeah, we li we're living in a time, Steve, where people uh, want to be the biggest jackass. We saw this earlier with the with the idiot that, that approached Syslack. People are, and he did not, he, he was asked to, about the incident, whether he would apologize. He said, I would not apologize. I'm proud of what I did. And he turned that he's a grifter. Uh, we have a grifting society. We have a segment of the population that supports being the biggest jackass possible. And, and they are digging in their heels. And they want to do it more and more and more and more. They don't want to do it behind closed doors anymore. They want to be open with it. They want to run governments with it. They want to run society with it. Um, and we are, this is idiocracy, man. <laughs> and and the main one of the main components of it and the main proponents of it is freaking Ron DeSantis yelling at kids. And one kid's mom was interviewed and she says, hey, like I told my kid to keep on a mask. So now you're yelling at a kid and having him to have him defy his mother is pretty gross. It's crazy. All right, Xavier, we appreciate it. Make sure you check out uh, Xavier up at Xavier Pope. He's doing uh, Twitter spaces at least two days a week. And then he's got suit up news as well. We appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Thank you, my guys. Have a good weekend. There he is. Out of Chicago, Xavier Pope. We'll come back. We'll get into the football frenzy. As uh, Speaking of COVID and masking, it looks like there's been some changes around the NFL with the cooperation of the NFLPA. Some rule changes on the way. 22-ounce Bud Light, Budweiser, or Michelob Ultra, plus two hot dogs and two bags of chips, all for just $7.77 at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook inside Silver 7's Hotel and Casino.